How are we doing, Wolfpack fans? This is Pack Center, your one-stop shop for all things Nevada sports. Tyler, how are we doing today? Amazing. Yeah, I'm your host, Austin Paschke. My co-host to my right is Tyler Seth. Like always, we have a very, 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 very special episode today. We have men's basketball. We have a special guest coming on that one. You'll find out in just a second. We have women's basketball we got to touch on. We got some football we got to touch on. And uh, it's going to be a good one. It's going to be an exciting episode. I'm very excited to talk to our guests. And uh, let's get right into it. And we're back start with some women's basketball uh, we're hitting the road again once again we are on the road to portland state on saturday uh, 12 p.m noon last year portland state went 25 and 8 a very impressive year won the big sky and was a 15th seed in the ncaa tournament this team is no joke the Vikings returned seven players from their team a year ago, including Kylie Jimenez. You might notice that last name because it is the sister of Alyssa Jimenez, who is a freshman starter who has played some decent minutes for the pack so far. This team was picked to finish third in the Big Sky, but they have hopes of going back-to-back conference champs. Portland is off to a slow start this year, only 1-3 after some tough competition in the preseason WNIT tournament. Tatiana Strain is the Vikings' leading scorer, averaging 13 points, a game on 61% from the field. This will be a really good test for this women's basketball team heading into Portland, facing a really good team, probably the hardest test of the season. Utah Valley, who has turned out to be the closest game this season so far, um, I thought it was going to be a cakewalk, and now we are going into a pretty good test at Portland State. How do you think this game is going to fare for the Lady Wolfpack? I mean, I agree with you. It's going to be easily our hardest test of the season so far. Portland State definitely no slouch. I mean, they returned seven of that team from last year that was a 15 seed, did lose to Oregon, powerhouse women's basketball Oregon yeah. in the tournament last season. However, this team is this solid. They have a couple girls who average more than 10 points a game. They get their scoring from a lot of different facets, so it's going to be a, a long day for the Wolfpack defense if we can't stop at least a couple of those scoring options for Portland State. But it's going to be a good one. I'm re- actually really excited for this. It's a 12 p.m. tip on Saturday, so middle of the day Saturday before the football game. If you can, try to stream it, try to watch it. Uh, it's going to be a good one. It's going to be a really good test for Essence Booker and the ladies of the Wolfpack. Essence Booker is going to have to play a huge game, but we're also going to have to see some role players step up. Uh, Essence has been putting the team on her back, the scoring load on her back, and just kind of leading this team offensively. But what I'm looking forward to in this game is seeing how our defense fares against this really high-powered offense. We're really good at forcing turnovers. We didn't really see it in the Utah Valley game just because I think we started off so slow and we were really focusing on scoring the ball and getting this offense into the game. And then we kind of just slouched on defense. And I think if we continue to force turnovers, especially against this Portland State team, we can come out with a dub. And I think that if other role players step up on offense, that this game could really go in our favor. I think we need a big game for Marguerite Effa. We've kind of, we saw her in the first game kind of do very, very well. She, I think she had double-digit scoring, and then she had a lot of rebounds, and I think since then she's kind of tapered off, and I think we need her to get going, really help on the defensive side of the ball, really have that post presence down low, make them settle for hard shots beyond the arc and not be able to dribble the ball into the paint. That's something that we need to see, and we also need to see turnovers, like I said. We need to force a lot of turnovers. Um, it's a good team. It's going to be a hard test for us, but we need to see other people than just Essence Booker step up scoring the ball. Who do you think is going to be able to step up besides Essence Booker and really carry this team to victory? I mean, i really like to see Armani Lazy come off the bench and try to provide us some good minutes. We've seen her do that in a couple games this season where she comes off the bench, has an excellent shooting percentage numbers, and grabs a few boards for us, and then as well as scores a lot of points for us. That's going to be a big thing for me is bench play in this game. Uh, We can't let our starters do all the work against Portland State. When we play good teams like this, we're going to have to have 
decent bench play and have them really kind of step out and not play as twos, just play as, you know, good basketball players. Uh, against this Portland State team, they are pretty deep. They do have six freshmen on this team, which is something we might be able to break them in and bench play is when their freshmen get on the court, we have some more experienced transfers, some more experienced players that have played under Amanda Levins these past couple seasons. So it's going to be very, very interesting to watch that bench play for me. Um, I think if we can dominate bench points and then um, when our bench players are on the court, I think this is going to be a, a win for Nevada basketball. Freshman is interesting to bring up because we have a freshman of our own that had a stellar game against Utah Valley. Dom Phillips reached double figures against Utah Valley. She had 14 points, first time scoring in double figures in college. I think she can continue that run Saturday against Portland State. If she steps up for this team, steps up for the pack, then this could be a very good game game for the Wolfpack and Nevada to improve to 4-0 and on the year. That would be really, really impressive to start off 4-0 and against, you know, some good opponents. We played St. Mary's, and then now we're playing Portland State. We have Chicago State to look forward to next week, which should be an easy win as well. So this is a huge, huge game to keep that momentum going and to get another win on the road. Road games are really hard to win, in my opinion. So it would be great to get another road win and kind of cement that for our team and give us that boost. Uh, do you have a score prediction? How do you think we're? Do you think we're gonna win this game? Uh, not necessarily a score prediction. I think it's gonna be a very close game. I think I could see either team winning by you know four or five points if it comes down to you know that foul game at the end of the game. I'm gonna give this one to us though. I think that our transfers and our experience can really play a big factor in this game. And we're hot. I mean we're three and zero. Uh, Portland State is 1-3. Granted, they played some very, very good competition. And like you said, uh, in the preseason WNIT, they played likes of Boise State, who we'll see later in the season. They've played uh, UC Irvine, which isn't a bad team either in women's basketball. So they played some tough competition. I think that we take this one, though. I think that our hot stretch continues, and we bring it back to Reno next week when we take on uh, Chicago State. The Nugget Classic is next week, which I'm super excited about. We play some good teams but I think it is paramount that we come into that tournament undefeated and we keep this winning streak going. I can see us losing, though, just because we are on the road. Portland State is not a bad team, and a loss has to come at some point. This may be it. I do have us winning by a slim margin. I think we pull out this win by just like two points. I think it comes down to free throws at the very end. We knock down our free throws. I think Essence Booker has a huge game. I think she drops around 18 points, maybe 20. Ooh. Watch out. Watch your but, mouth. Uh, watch your mouth. But I think we need to have Marguerite Effa and Dom Phillips and other role players really step up if we do want the win. And then turnovers. We got to see turnovers. And that is a big thing that I think we should see. And I think we have us winning. If we can turn over the ball or if we can force turnovers and not turn over the ball on our end, we will have this dub on Saturday at noon. So make sure you guys tune in and watch them travel to Portland and beat Portland State on Saturday before coming back home for the Nugget Classic. But moving on, oh, and full breakdown, obviously. Oh, yeah. Coming on, coming on Monday. But uh, we're moving on. Speaking of turnovers, we're going to keep that flowing from going into the men's game, which we saw a lot of them. Yeah. A lot of turnovers. We played Davidson on Tuesday. Men's basketball did. We traveled to Davidson. A hard place to play, and we knew this was going to be a hard team to play, but I personally didn't see a 20-point loss. Did you? No. I didn't see that all. in the cards at all. Yeah, no. But then again, we didn't see... We didn't predict the turnovers. 21 turnovers. Right. We'll get to that. Uh, we got killed 91 to 71 on Tuesday. Big headline in the game, like you just said, 21 turnovers. And honestly, if anyone's hungry in Reno, I think the Nevada basketball team started um, a bakery. I, I think they started a bakery, I heard. Did they really? Yeah. I think they're specializing in pastries, more uh -huh. specifically turnovers. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So they're specializing in turnovers, and we saw that on Tuesday. Uh, 21 turnovers. Just, I mean, you can't win a game turning the ball over that much. I think, was it, oh, I, I don't want to say it, but I think it was 12 or 13 turnovers in the first half. Yeah, I think 12 was the number in the first yeah, half. It just was not fun to watch. We were watching that game, obviously, from our couch, and it was it was pretty depressing to watch that many turnovers, especially from our veterans. We saw a good amount of turnovers from Lindsey and Jalen, which is something that we usually do not see. 
But we did have four different pack players in, in double digits, which is cool. We, I mean, we saw the last, the previous two games, um, we saw one person kind of carrying the load, whether it was Jazz Johnson last game or the game before Tuesday against Davidson. The game before that, we saw Jazz Johnson go off. Then we saw Lindsey Drew go off the game before that. But now we are starting to see kind of everyone take hold, and we had four different players in double digits. Jalen Harris went 6 for 10 for 13 points. An efficient day from the field rather than that 3 from 19 that we saw the game before. Nine rebounds and five assists. He would have easily had the best game of the night, was it not for the seven turnovers that he had. So Jalen Harris turning the ball over a lot. Lindsey Drew led all scores in the night, doing a little bit of everything again, 14 points. He also had three turnovers, though, which was something to not see. And with all this talk about old Nevada, previous Nevada teams all over Twitter that we saw this week, it seemed like we, we nodded to the old times of Eric Musselman. We only had eight assists. So it was kind of uh, kind of one-on-one basketball, not a lot of passing, not a lot of ball movement at all. And we just didn't look good out there against Davidson. What's something that you saw to really, you know, that kind of either surprised you about this game or kind of made you worrisome going into the rest of the season for this Nevada basketball team? I mean, the turnovers are the obvious thing here. You can't have 21 turnovers against a good team like Davidson, like we were saying last week. And they would make you pay, and they did. They had a bunch of points off turnovers. I forget the exact number, but we were kind of keeping track of that as the game was going along. Perimeter defense is something that's really starting to scare me now. Davidson is a very good three-point shooting Mm -hmm. team. They can shoot the lights out of the gym on any given day if they want to. But their three-point shooting was, you know, almost uncontested most of the time. Seemed like coming off of pick-and-rolls, pick-and-roll defense is something we've talked about this uh, before on the podcast. It's just something that needs to get fixed. We need to find a certain way to do it, whether it's going under, going over, hedging, uh, whatever needs to happen, that needs to get fixed ASAP. And then, yeah, like ter- like you said, turnovers. That's kind of the big thing that stands mm-hmm. out to me in this game was we can't turn the ball over that many times. Again, a lot of the turnovers weren't terrible turnovers. It was, you know, balls going through the hands of people, bad passes here and there. But I think we had four or five travels in the first half alone, which is something that is inexcusable to be playing, you know, college basketball, Division One basketball at a school like Nevada where we do have – you know, some success here and there. And with a great coach and coach Alfred, we really can't be having, you know, travels here and there. There was, I think, four in the first five or six possessions of this game. So it was really just kind of a poor sight to see. But, you know, we can learn from this game. Davidson's a good team. It was a good road test. I thought, you know, our team didn't really give up at any point during this game. Yes, we didn't shoot the ball that great. People were turning the ball over. But I thought we saw some fight from the team even at the end of the second half, which was kind of nice to see. But, yeah, this just wasn't a good game for us at all. Defense is an interesting point because I was going to bring up defense as well. Their three-point percentage at the end of the game was 46%. You are definitely going to win almost every single game. If you're shooting the three ball at 46%, 12 for 26 Davidson shot the three ball. If you're going to shoot like that, you're going to win pretty much every game. And then at the end of the game for their altogether field goal percentage sat at 55%. In the second half alone, they went 19 for 29, 65% from the field. It seemed like they just couldn't miss. And if you are shooting the ball at that rate, you are definitely, no doubt in my mind, going to win every single time. So yeah, defense I think is a is a valid point to bring up. It's who's really going to burden that load and who's going to say I'm going to be the defensive player. Is it going to be Zane Meeks? We saw a little glimpse of it against USC. I mean, he came out and he did pretty well against their big man. So who's going to step up and play defense? Lindsey Drew plays pretty good defense, and I think it's a little bit unfair to say, you know, Jalen Harris, we need you to step up and play our best defense because we need him to step up and play arguably our best offense. So we need someone else, maybe it's Nisre, maybe someone else to step up and play that lockdown defender role and really help out our team because what we saw on Tuesday was abysmal defense. And we need that to step up if we're going to be any successful in the Mountain West at all. Also, KJ Himes, I didn't want to bring this up until now because I I thought it was a little bit too early, but foul trouble. 
the first couple games he got in foul trouble, I just kind of attributed it to him being young. I didn't want to bring it up and say it was a problem just yet. But I, I honestly think he is entering the game with two fouls already on the stat sheet. It seems like, I mean, all red, when he comes in the game, I think, what, four minutes, two fouls uh, this game? And then he ended the game with four total fouls. He played nine minutes, nine minutes, four fouls. I think the other day he had four fouls in seven minutes. Yeah. And oh, he fouled out in seven minutes. He fouled out in seven minutes. This game he had four fouls in nine minutes. His minutes are going to keep dropping dramatically if he cannot get this figured out. I don't know if it's just him being young, him finding out how to play college basketball. I mean, he, he it's his first couple games. He's kind of getting the hang of everything. But at some point, it's it's okay. I am I'm fouling all the time, and I need to stop. You know, either putting my body into him or leaning over or doing something that, you know, is warranted for a foul. I just don't quite know how to grasp this yet. And if he doesn't get things figured out, his minutes are going to keep dropping dramatically. I, If he keeps fouling like this, he's not going to go over 10 minutes a game. Yeah, and I don't think, I don't want to say at least it's not inexperienced because, I mean, his redshirt season last year, he played with the likes of Jordan Caroline, mm-hmm. Cody, Caleb. So you got three NBA Prospects, Treshawn Thurman, who we just saw in yeah. the, made a highlight play in the G League yeah. last night, I believe. So shout out to Treshawn for that. But he's playing with you know NBA caliber talent. I wouldn't think it'd be inexperience on his end in the college game. It's just silly fouls at this point. Yeah. It's he's trying to make the block from behind the the offensive player when he really doesn't have an angle. He just tries to do a little too much when he gets beat off the dribble. Um, it's a lot of just silly fouls from KJ, and it does look like his inexperience is showing, especially in a game atmosphere. And I agree with you. I don't think he, I don't know how this is going to get fixed. I think Coach Alfred has definitely has to look at that in film and, you know, I don't even know, make up a plan for him not to foul, you know, maybe pull him away from the basket a little bit more. But it's just something that he will not continue, he will not continue to play on this team and be. A significant part on this team if right. he keeps fouling like that and we need him and that's the you know the disappointing thing is we need KJ because you know John Carlos and Robbie can only play so many minutes we need that big man off the bench that can give us rebounds and give us support on defense uh, when we need to sit a couple of our big guys down so it's just kind of a thing where you know coach Alfred's really got his work cut out for him uh, with KJ and his foul trouble. Yeah, and no slight to Davidson. They played a very good game. I think they came in with a game plan, and they stuck to it. They really limited our three-point ability. They limited our ability to shoot the three-point, and we just didn't take that many shots. I mean, we shot the ball 15 times from beyond the arc. I mean, Jazz alone usually has 10 shots from beyond the arc. He had five this game. You go back to just a week ago against USC on uh, last Saturday, and we shot the three ball 36 times. In this game, we shot the ball 15 from beyond the arc. So it's really a drastic change, and I don't know if that is coaching from our end or coaching from Davidson's end, but um, impressive by Davidson to really stopping our three-point ability and because that's what I think is this team is going to show is we're going to live and die by the three. And if we are going to live and die by three and we don't shoot the ball at all from beyond the arc, then it's going to be a long day from us. But one bright spot before we move on is rebounding. We out-rebounded them 30-24, which isn't the, the biggest margin, but it is a good margin when we haven't been rebounding the ball that well in previous games. You know, people stepped up. It was rebounding by committee. Jalen Harris himself had nine rebounds and then obviously rebound by committee. As we've seen, John Carlos with four, Robbie with four, Zane Meeks with four, uh, Lindsey with two, Jazz Johnson with two, KJ Himes with two. You know, as we've been seeing, just rebound by committee. And that was something that impressed me because I've been worried about rebounding. I've been worried about getting to the paint and getting those easy chance, you know, those easy second chance points, those easy rebounds, and we need them to be successful. And thank God we saw it in this game because it's given me a little bit hope for the next the next couple games. Ultimately, I think these are just problems that Alfred's going to be able to figure out. You don't want to be playing your best games in November. You want to be playing your best basketball come February, and I think that will happen with the way Coach Alfred is going to be structuring his team. Yeah, I mean, like you said, I mean, we're still not getting rebounds from our four and our five positions, which is something that's kind of still not the Scary. best. 
But you see in the Davidson games, you see Robbie Robertson, you see John Carlos kind of tip the ball out. Right. You know, when they can't pull down the board, they're at least trying to tip it out to Jazz, tip it out to Jalen. And I think that's where a lot of Jalen's boards came from was kind of in that scrum where it kind of gets tipped around and he's the one that goes up and gets it. Right. So that's, like you said, it's a good sign that we are starting to rebound the ball a little bit better. Still a long ways to go. Mm-hmm. Still would like to see our forwards get more into that. Um, but it's definitely a step in the right direction for this young team. I think it's not so much an athleticism problem as more as just size problem. And I think that is where Warren Washington next year is going to come in huge. I think he's going to play 40 minutes. He's not going to come out of the damn game we because he's going to have to rebound US, the ball so much. Virgin it's just something, Island, yeah, like you said, we're not tournament rebounds for big men. And I think that's landed a little this bit morning scary to see yesterday. That rebounds are yesterday, coming from the entire team, they not just out of that the big men. Of- you but know, players all moving wearing, on, kind of like those sunglasses that they all had matching was kind did of funny. Did you? Do you saw? You saw that picture, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you see Lindsey Drew in the corner? Yeah, in the in the top right, right. So tell me that he does not have a future in undercover like investigation work. I'm gonna pull it up. Right he now. is just in the corner behind the po- like the cutout poster, like just sneaking his head out, and he has his glasses on with the hoodie tied tight around his face. And he is, dude, it is so funny to watch the rest of the, the team smiling with their glasses on, leaving for the U.S. Island, or arriving in the Virgin Islands. And then, and then Lindsay's just by himself in the corner, like, peeking his hat out. He has a future in investigative work. Oh, yeah. Man, he could be he could be a P.I. for sure. Yes. I mean, looking at the picture right now, it is, it is funny. There's, like, stars right next to his face, yeah. and he's just, like, barely peeking around that corner. It, if you haven't seen the picture yet, it is on Nevada basketball Twitter, and it is it is a great picture. I'm not gonna lie. There's a dude on stilts in the back. Everyone is wearing these sun like these pink sunglasses. Zane Meeks looks like he's about ready to kill someone. He doesn't look happy at all. And then you have Jalen, Jazz, and Niz in the front. It's it's a great picture. They look like they're little kids like about to just go to Disneyland for the first yeah. time. I love it. I love it. It looks like they're actually like really getting some good like team bonding it you know what i mean it looks like this this road stand even though obviously the davidson game didn't go as we wanted it looks like they're really getting a good uh, team camaraderie in you know going on this road stand and getting to hang with the guys day in and day out but u.s virgin islands first game is tomorrow against fordham this is uh, on Friday, so we play Fordham on Friday tomorrow, who is three and zero, but haven't played any good teams on the year. Like, really? n- like literally no one. They haven't played any good teams at all, and uh, they should take care of Fordham. We're not going to preview every single team that's obviously in the U.S. Islands because we don't know who we're going to play after Fordham, um, but. The pack should take care of Fordham easily, and then they would play the winner between uh, Val Perrieso and Grand Canyon GCU, both decent um, basketball schools. I actually would like to see them play GCU, yeah. um, but even playing Val uh, Valparaiso, I wouldn't mind. They're both decent basketball schools. It'll be fun to see them play them, and then ultimately, if we get to the championship, we could see a 2018 March. Madness rematch against Nevada and Cincy, which would be very exciting. You know, remember the Josh Hall tip-in, the running around the court, the just everything that came along with that um, exciting, exciting upset against Cincy. We'll be, we might be able to see a repeat of that. We might be able to see a repeat of that upset because obviously Cincy is favorites to win the entire thing. Yeah. So if we get to the championship, we might be able to see them as well. First game is tomorrow, Friday. Second game is either Saturday or Sunday, depending on how the chips fall. Final game is on Monday. We are at least get, we are guaranteed three. Um, obviously if we went out, the third game would be the championship game of the U S Virgin islands. How do you think this this trip's going to go? I say a successful trip is two wins, losing in the championship to Cincy. Uh, an amazing trip, obviously, at winning three, beating Cincy in the championship. I don't see that happening. And then I would say only winning one to Fordham and then losing the next two or some vice versa, however that works. I think that would be pretty disappointing. What is a successful Virgin Islands trip to you? I mean... I agree. I think two wit two and one would be a successful trip, even if that means winning f- two, beating Fordham, losing to 
either GCU or False Barrio, and yeah. then winning in that consolation game. I think any situation of two and one, obviously getting the championship game and losing would be a lot better than that scenario that I just described. Uh, but I think any two and one scenario is actually a really good kind of stepping stone for this pack team. Like you said, beautiful Virgin Islands. I mean, the team gets to really kind of connect there. And that's something that we can both, you know, attribute to, you know, playing, you know, growing up and playing baseball, you know, in those travel teams. It's kind of like that's those are the times in the hotel where you really get to connect with, you know, the your teammates and stuff like that. So it's a really good trip for this team. I think it's a really good tournament for us to play yeah. in. I think it'll be a good test to see kind of where we are after Davidson and then moving forward as well. I think we could pick up a lot of momentum from this trip. I could really see it being kind of a good stepping stone to get to where we want to be. So I think it's just kind of a, a win-win for Nevada basketball right now. I think we do go 2-1. and one. Um, I think we I think we could easily make it to the championship game. But, yeah, I don't see us beating Cincinnati. They're a very strong team. But it should be fun to watch. Yeah, and ultimately, like we've been saying, this isn't about the wins and loss column. This is about kind of just getting the team better. I'm going to harp on it all year. Tyler's going to get tired of hearing it, but you need to play your best basketball later in the season. While we would want to win games, obviously, for seeding purposes and all this kind of stuff, you want to play your best basketball against Mountain West teams. And this is an opportunity to just get the team better, get the team closer as a unit, and to just grow as a team. So I'm really excited to see this U.S. Virgin Islands tournament. We'll be able to live tweet the games. We'll be able to keep you guys updated on everything that's happening over there and then obviously we'll be able to break down the entire weekend on monday there is a game on monday but we'll do our best to work around that and preview or recap everything that's happened over the weekend but moving on there has been some controversy on twitter there has been has there a little bit oh really a little I bit no if, idea if you haven't been seeing what's been going on the Wolfpack have obviously started two and three. That night, a I would call him an acquaintance over at Fox Sports tweeted two and three. I uh, didn't want to say I told you so. We'll get into the exact tweet when he comes on the air. The special guest today is Aaron Torres over at Fox Sports. He has his Aaron Torres podcast. He is a college football, college basketball analyst. He has around 20,000 followers on Twitter. I mean, he's a real deal. He's 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 a basketball analyst. He knows what he's talking about. And we're very happy to have him on the show. Yes. But he did rough, rough up some feathers of the community around Reno. And he basically said that I didn't want to tell you I told you so about the Steve Alford hire, but I told you so. We both talked off air and the rest of the community probably shares this. Is It's a little bit too early to tell a tenure, uh, tenure from just five games. But we wanted to have him on the show to kind of talk about his stance and let him explain himself a little bit and then let us kind of explain our stance and kind of the community stance about what we think is going to happen from this Nevada basketball team. So stay tuned, guys. It's going to be a really, really fun conversation. And uh, yeah, we'll be back. Aaron Torres, thank you so much for coming on the show and talking to us today. We greatly appreciate that. So let's get right to it. Um, I can't wait to have this conversation about the infamous tweet that you tweeted out. Um, for the for the listeners that don't know, I'm just gonna read it real quick. Uh, Nevada loses 91 to 71 at Davidson, falls to fall to two and three on the year. Last spring, Nevada fans crushed me because I said that Steve Alford wasn't the answer and they should hire internally. If I wasn't so humble, right now I'd probably say, quote unquote, I told you so, but I am, so I won't. So let's just start there. I mean, do you do you regret anything you said? I mean, how are you feeling about your tweet um, at this point in time right now? Yeah, I, I think the only thing that I really regret, guys, is that, so to, to backtrack, and it really does go back to last spring, and I know a lot of Nevada fans have followed my work. Um, is that, you know, I just, I just felt like from day one, I, I thought, you know, the Musselman regime had built something special. I thought that there was two former head coaches on the staff, Gus Arsenault and uh, Rex Walters, and I just felt like, keep this thing internal. Keep building what you've already built, and if two, three years down the road, one of those guys isn't the answer, go get whoever it is that's available. 
Um, a lot of Nevada fans disagree, whatever. And so the tweet was more about my original hypothesis and the team struggling. The only thing that I regret is that it feels now, and I think Nevada fans are taking it this way and understandably, is that I'm personally attacking Coach Alford. And I'm really not. And I know that you could read that tweet and, and take it that way. But, you know, what I would say is a couple things. One, Coach Alford's always been really good to me. I live in Los Angeles. Um, I've probably done, you know, been to 70 UCLA games when he was a coach, 50 UCLA games, whatever, sat in 40 of his press conferences, had a couple behind-doors meetings with him, and he's been really good to me. And this was never a personal attack on Coach Alford. I just thought that the program should continue to build. But it also kind of goes back to last spring where – I get Nevada fans were frustrated that Eric Musselman left the program, but I listen, selfishly, this is my personal opinion, I feel like if there's one guy that actually probably knows what the hell he's talking about, it's me, a guy that's been around both programs, both coaching staffs, et cetera, et cetera. So that's really the only regret is that it, 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 it's come off the last couple of days as a personal attack on Steve Alford. It is not that at all. It was me just kind of, you know, re-justifying, hey, I think this program from top on down, including the athletic director, made a mistake in blowing this thing up in the first place. So it was more of, you want the, I mean, Musselman did a great job here, and uh, we were all really sad to see him leave and uh, kind of upset to see the way he left, uh, the way he did. But it was more just like you wanted to keep the culture and, you know, because he built a lot of great things here. It was more just keep that stuff in play rather than just trying to build a whole new regime. Is that it? Yeah, you know, the analogy I used at the time, guys, and I know Nevada fans don't want to hear this, but listen, you know, I, I get the idea that because of the success of Eric Musselman, you're now in position to, in theory, hire a quote-unquote higher-profile candidate. Right. What I would argue is is that you know higher profile doesn't always mean better. And you know the example that I've used, and Nevada fans tell me I'm crazy, but 20 years ago, so I'm a UConn alum. Uh, I grew up in Connecticut in 1999. UConn beat Gonzaga to go to the Final Four. Gonzaga's coach leaves and they decide to promote some guy named Mark Few. And Gonzaga, listen, I'd be lying if I said I remember every single detail from the 1999 college basketball season, but I guarantee you that Nevada, or excuse me, Gonzaga had a chance to continue or or to go out and hire whoever was the quote-unquote more big name or bigger name than Mark Few. They elect to build, continue to build what was already being built, and obviously they've had unbelievable success since then. I can't promise, I can't say that that either of those guys uh, that were on the coaching staff could have or would have done that, and I've never once said that they definitively would have. Frankly, they probably wouldn't have, but to me, I just don't understand why you're coming off, and this is something I talk about on my podcast today, and if fans, you know, really do kind of want to hear my side and are going to willing to go in with, with an open mind, you know, uh, I did talk about it on my podcast, is I just don't understand why you're coming off uh, arguably the best three-year run in program history, three straight Mountain West regular season titles. I just don't understand why you'd want to rebuild in the first place rather than just try to continue to build on it. And then, like I said, if in two, three years it's clearly uh, not working out, then you go get whoever the version of Steve Alford is available. But again, I just don't understand. I guess, frankly, guys, I just don't understand why you would want to start rebuilding coming off the most successful run in the history of your program. Definitely, yeah. I mean, I think that's something we talked about off air too is um, it's definitely a valid point is because Musk did unprecedented things here and it seemed – I mean, it was a totally 180 in everything. Um, while we do think that Alfred is a great basketball coach, a great IQ, it's a total 180 from what Muss was. I mean, Muss was... Well, can, he, I, can I jump in real quick? Yeah, because, yeah, definitely. I don't, I don't mean to cut you off. No, 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 so definitely. This was, this was actually a big part of my argument last year, is that having been around Steve Alfred as much as I have, and it's ironic because... You know, Nevada fans, because I came up, you know, to Nevada or Reno and I interviewed Coach Musk a couple times, people think, oh, he loves Eric Musselman. It's like the reality is I've spent a lot more time around Steve Alford than I have Eric Musselman. And, you know, in some of it's formal settings, some of it's informal settings, some of it's just a press conference, whatever. But the one thing that I said back in the spring is that Coach Musk, whether Nevada fans love him or hate him, and if you hate him because of the way he left, I completely understand. But – 
the one thing that they ha- that you cannot deny about Eric Musselman is that he turned Nevada basketball into a brand. He turned it into something that was identifiable nationally. And because of my experience with Steve Alford, this was my biggest point of contention. You want to argue X's and O's. You want to argue three Sweet Sixteens in four years. I can. I, I can argue. You can have a solid argument on that. But you have built this incredible brand. You're recruiting at a really high level, and we know part of it was because Eric Musselman was a former NBA head coach. We can't promise that it would have continued. But the one thing I can tell you, and this is having been around Steve Alford, and I think even a Nevada fan, whether they want to admit it or not, probably would at this point, is that Steve Alford, from a branding perspective, from a creating fan interest perspective, it's just not the same deal. And I'm not saying it's right or it's wrong. And listen, ultimately, wins will trump everything else. But I would also say, if I was a Nevada fan and I was one of the coolest programs in college basketball, and guys like Aaron Torres and all the national guys, and I'm not trying to say I'm anybody important, but every national guy was talking Nevada last year because of the brand that Musselman and his staff created um, and everything like that. And so that, to me, was part of it, too. It wasn't the X's and O's. It wasn't the win-loss record. It was like, you have a really cool brand going. Let's keep building on this. Let's continue to make Nevada a nationally relevant program. Definitely. Totally makes sense. At the same point, though, um, just off of the tweet, I know it kind of got misconstrued a little bit. Um, don't you? <laughs> no, not coming at you. But I mean, don't you think it's a little bit too early to judge? A t- I mean, a ten-year contract off of five games, though. Yeah, and, and and that was you know, and it's funny because you guys know this. We've all been in the media for a while, and even somebody listen. I'm not like I said. I'm I'm really not anybody important. I would never claim that I am. But I, I'm still amazed sometimes how things become stories as big as they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly, like, in, in your guys' world, you know, I think this was a story for a day or so. And, you know, like, like, like I thought, yeah, some Nevada fans would maybe get a hold of this and have some not nice things for me to say. But, you know, for the, for the beat writers to kind of share their opinions, and no, nobody really, like, n- never got personal or anything. Some of the players weighing in, like, it was just something, I just didn't think it was going to be that big of a deal. Um, I Listen, I, I do think in the big picture, I'll say this, five games in a 10-year contract, you're right, is an incredibly small sample size. And some of this isn't Steve Alford's fault. Uh, we all know Jordan Brown, you know, if, if Steve Alford had been able to keep Jordan Brown, this is a different-looking team. I would argue, based on the information that I have living in L.A., uh, part of the reason that Jordan Brown probably isn't there is because of how he was recruited by UCLA back before he committed to Nevada, which is kind of another conversation for another day. Um, But, like, the point I'm trying to make is some of this isn't Steve Alford's fault, and just in general, five games is way too big of a – too small of a sample size over the course of the big picture. But what I would also say – 91 points to Davidson. Um, I watched that USC game. Again, I live in L.A. I, I want to see these Pac-12 teams. That USC game, guys, and I'm not saying this to belittle the program or make my point, but that was the worst defensive performance that I've seen from any team this entire season, guys, against USC. And let's be honest, Jazz Johnson had two four-point plays in that game. If, he, if you just take out those two plays, they lose by 20 in that game, too. And so it is probably a little bit early, but but there is too much talent on this team for this team to be getting blown out, Um, especially, and and by the way, two losses at Lawler Arena where they haven't really lost over the last three years. So I, I think, yes, to answer your question directly, it is too early, and if a Nevada fan wants to be mad at me, that is a totally legitimate argument. I would also say, though, that there are some things that if they don't get fixed in a hurry, it's not going to magically get better, uh, especially as the games get tougher in Mountain West play. Definitely, and defense was something that after, just before calling you, we talked about on our podcast, is, um, and we saw it against Davidson, it was what are we going to do about this defensive productivity because we don't have a prolific defensive stopper. We just don't. I mean, the defense has been atrocious, like you've been saying. Um, but switching the convo just a little bit, Nevada basketball, like how do you see this season playing out? What's their floor? What's their ceiling? Because there's so much young talent. There's so much new talent that's starting to form together. We personally don't believe that they're they're going to start. They're going to start playing their best basketball in 
late February, early March, in my opinion. Um, just because of how young this team is, is all these new pieces. Um, what do you think about that statement, or how? What do you think their ceiling and uh, floor is? Yeah, well, I, I think that what I would say is there are a ton of new pieces, and, and you know, the, the thing that the Vatican, well, we lost all five starters. You know, I would argue. Listen, uh, you know, uh, Lindsey Drew. Um, I know he didn't play last year. He's really good, though. Um, Jazz Johnson, we know what he's capable of. And Jalen Harris is one of the best guards in the Mountain West. So, yes, there's new pieces, but it's not as though they've never played major college basketball. But I think everywhere else, it's justifiable. What I would say, and listen, this isn't me kind of breaking any huge news on on your show, is the, the lack of size and the lack of productivity down low is what really kind of concerns me. And, that, again, part of that is not Steve Alford's fault. And I'm not implying that it's totally his fault that Jordan Brown left and all these other things. But, um, you know, I watched that game against UCLA – or USC, excuse me, and I watched some of the Davidson game – and I really do worry if there are nights where the three-point shots aren't falling, I think this team is incredibly susceptible to, to, to losses. And what I would add is, listen, when you take over a program and you're Steve Alford, um, very rarely do you inherit a team with perfect puzzle pieces and a team ready to compete with everybody in college basketball. So I get it. Um, to kind of your last question, it's going to be two, three, four years before we can really determine whether this thing is a success or a failure or not. And, yes, it was probably stupid of me to, to – five games in, um, you know, five games in, be super critical of this team. But I also think in terms of this year, in terms of right now, in terms of realistically, I do think they're going to struggle, guys. I mean, you look at some of the teams in the Mountain West, San Diego State playing really well. Uh, New Mexico certainly has talent, whether it all comes together or not. We know about Utah State. Colorado State, I don't know if they're, they're quote-unquote better than Nevada, but obviously with the size down low, they're going to cause some problems. So maybe I'm totally glasses half empty, me trying to prove my point. Um, I just think that, that they need to figure out a, a, a guy down low. They need to be able to figure out a way to get easy points because to expect Jazz Johnson to shoot as well as he did, you know, as well as he has early on, to expect Lindsey Drew to get 20-plus points every game, it's just not realistic. Um, and again, part of this isn't Steve Alford's fault. It's not, you know, it's just the nature of taking over a program. But it doesn't stop the fact that obviously Nevada fans want to see wins and productivity. And I do think, honestly, they're probably going to struggle until they can find productivity down low. We totally agree. And that, that, like I said, again, that's weird. We, we talked about the same thing before you came on is uh, down low our front. Sure I haven't heard the episode yet. I know. Sure it, I you're gonna. I know you're gonna have to. You're gonna have to take a listen when it comes out. But um, yeah, it's our front court. That was that was basically what we we're talking about. Is our front court is going to be a de- definitely work in progress as the year goes on. Um, but last question before you, we get you out of here is um, Nevada's playing in the U.S. Virgin Islands, Tyler. Yeah. So in the Virgin Islands, it's us, Valparaiso, GCU, Fordham, Illinois State, Cincy, Bowling Green, and Western Kentucky. So uh, for us, which game are you most excited for and why is it the 2018 March Madness comeback of the year between Nevada and Cincy? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I didn't even put two and two together. It's crazy because I know Nevada plays GCU a lot as well, and here we are potentially, you know, with them facing them as well. Listen, you know, it's crazy, right? And this is – listen, I love college basketball. I've covered it forever. But it is kind of insane – you know, two years ago, I don't know if you guys were in school when that that Sweet 16 run happened. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was now, crazy. Yeah. Well, first of all, I hope you guys had fun. Uh, I don't know how much of that day you guys maybe remember. remember. Uh, but, you know, what I would say is it's just crazy that both coaches have, have changed jobs. And obviously, there just frankly aren't a lot of players from that game. But, yeah, no, it's, it, it, it's crazy, man. And, and it's funny because... Um, you know, I, obviously being in L.A., I've, I've met with Coach Cronin a couple times since then. Um, and, uh, you know, whenever I mention it, there's always people that say, oh, man, you know, he's a great coach, but I'll never forget that game against Nevada or whatever. So uh, it's an incredible game. It would be an incredible story if they face each other. Um, and, you know, I don't know if you guys have any more questions for me, but I would just say this, man. You know, and, and like, I spend a lot of times around a lot of programs. Like, it, you know, it just so happens that Nevada fans know about – what I the time that I spent up there in Reno last year, and I would say like, dude, I hope Nevada does well this year. I hope they prove me wrong. I hope Steve Alford proves me wrong. 
Uh, it's a good group of kids. The ones, you know, obviously I haven't been up there since the coaching change happened, but it's a good group of kids, a good hardworking group of kids. So, uh, you know, if I can leave you with anything, it's that I am not rooting against anybody. Uh, you know, and if, if Nevada finishes this year 25-5 and five or whatever, or next year or the year after, I encourage Nevada fans to come back and chirp at me. I'll own it. Uh, probably shouldn't have said what I said after five games. I, I do have some concerns. But, listen, if they turn it around, I'll be happy for them. Like I said, Coach Alford's always been great to me. Uh, and, yeah, and yeah. so so to, that doesn't really answer your question, but I think a, a Cincinnati-Nevada game would be fun if it happened. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so Aaron, we also Last know that one. you cover college football as well. I was just curious, uh, what's the Final Four looking like at the end of the year, and who do you have taking it all? Well, it's a great question, guys. You know, I, I really think, look, the, the inflection point right now appears to be Georgia at number four. They're going to play LSU in the SEC championship game. If LSU or if Georgia wins that game, they're in, and if they lose, they're out. And I actually, you know, like a team that, um, you know, wasn't very nice to the Wolfpack, and that's the Oregon Ducks, uh, who I know played you guys earlier this year. Yeah, that wasn't that wasn't a pretty one for us. Well, I, I, listen, maybe, maybe that was the game that I should overreact to now right? five games into the Steve Alford <laughs> tenure. Um, you know, all I'll say is is that Alabama's a great story, but um, if if you follow this stuff, I know you guys do. Um, you know, the, the way the college football playoff structure is is that in, the, in the, the, the verbiage that the playoff committee uses, the term that they use is that if you're going to take a, non, a, a non-champion from a conference, so that would obviously be Alabama in this case, they have to be, quote-unquote, this is the ex- an exact quote, they have to, quote-unquote, be uh, unequivocally better than a potential conference champion. And so I think if Oregon wins out, of course their resume, uh, you know, the highlight of their resume being that win over Nevada, if they win out, um, I just think it's going to be hard to make a case for Alabama without their starting quarterback that they are, quote-unquote, unequivocally better than uh, than Oregon. And I, I do think that if Oregon wins out, they're going to play in the national, they're going to play in the Final Four. I will add, I tweeted this the other day, I think we're so caught up on potentially Oregon versus Alabama now. I think by the time we actually get to the final night, I think there's a better chance we could be arguing uh, either Oregon-Utah, which would be the Pac-12 champion, against Oklahoma as a potential Big 12 champion. I think if anybody's going to keep the Pac-12 out, it might be Oklahoma. So that's just kind of my two cents. We still got three weeks of football left, including conference championship games, but it's been definitely uh, a fun fun season and i'm excited to see what happens over the next couple weeks well aaron i just want to thank you for coming on the show man i know um it probably wasn't the most appeas- pleasing thing t- for you to come on the show and uh defend your point but i appreciate it and it was fun talking to you and uh, hopefully we'll have you on soon and uh maybe talk some more nevada basketball yeah, listen, I told the Reno Slant guys this the other day, but or a few months ago when they had me last, but listen, if, if, whether they tur- if they turn this thing around, have me on and, you know, make fun of me publicly. If they don't, I'm more than happy to come on anyway, but you guys have my number and you're always welcome to come on and give me a hard time or bring me on and give me a hard time if the, uh, the pack make me look stupid over the next couple months. <laughs> All right, sounds good. I'll, I'll hold you to that, Aaron. Thank you so much. Just wanted to thank you uh, for having me and, you know, the good questions and all that stuff. It was a fun conversation. Again, we just want to thank Aaron for coming on the show. I know that he um, kind of rubbed some fans the wrong way, but uh, it was good to have him on, you know, defend his point a little bit. I think we talked about this off air that I think it's always the good thing about sports and the fun thing about sports. And one of the reasons why I personally got into sports is that it's always fun when you can um, disagree about something. And then come together and talk about it in a cordial manner. I think that's one of the things that gets lost over social media is, you know, not being cordial and not talking things out and seeing two sides to an argument. So I think that was really cool to have him come on and talk about his side, talk about our side a little bit because we kind of didn't see eye to eye about the the whole tweet about uh, judging a 10-year, you know, contract after five games so we had that conversation as well so uh just thank you again to aaron torres that was a real fun conversation was it not oh yeah it was a blast and you know like we've said to him you know we've been following him since he kind of came up here and was interviewing Mus and mm-hmm. spent a little time in reno uh so it's always awesome to have uh one of those guys that you know you kind of have followed for a little bit right. be able to talk to him and have that uh 
like very good conversation that we did have. Yeah, definitely. And hopefully you guys liked it. If you did not like it, um, you know, tweet at us and we'll have, like I said, a conversation about it. That's why I like sports. You could be the next conversation right. we have on Pax. Exactly. You come on and we'll talk about it. But uh, hopefully you guys liked the interview. And yeah, let's move on. I think we have some football to talk to before we're done with the episode. Yep. We got a game. There's two more football games left. We travel to Fresno State on Saturday. Uh, two days from now, it's 7.30 kickoff time in Fresno. So how these games have been going, it's probably not going to get done until midnight, uh, knowing Mountain West football has been taking around five hours to play their games. But Fresno season is completely different from last year's season. Um, night and day difference, winning the Mountain West championship last year, being ranked at the end of the season. They're 4-6 and six this season, 2-4 and four in conference. Their last game, they lost to SDSU 17-7, to a team that we beat, so we already have the upper hand on that one. Fresno State ranks 74th in passing offense. We rank 65th, just to get in those stats, 58th in rushing offense. They will probably pass the ball more than they run it against us because of our stout run defense. We now, since thanks to that San Diego State game, we're now top 50 in run defenses in the entire country. Uh, they do have a better offense, though, than SDSU. Not nearly as tough as that stout SDSU defense is. Fresno ranks 62nd in run defense and 113th in pass defense. That's actually worse than us in passing defense, if you can believe that one. Someone's worse than us in pass defense? I think we're a hundred. I was. I mean, I was on the page. I think we're like a hundredth, um, and they're one thirteenth. Yeah. So not by much. Don't don't, <laughs> don't get us wrong there. But uh, yeah, they are worse than us on their pass defense. They can't defend the pass. They are all right on the run. They have a good defensive line. They have a very very good linebacker, which we'll highlight. And then yeah, an all right offense that I think we'll be able to stop. Our defense has been playing just amazing. I think in the Monday presser, coach has said there's 14 people not on the squad that started the year with us. 14 people now have left the team through just, I mean, not left. 14 people are not, no longer playing. So injury, um, you know, leaving Malik Henry situations, Austin Kirksey, which was some news that broke two days ago yesterday two days ago now uh thanks to the goat chris murray and um yeah i mean there's just a lot of people leaving if you look at this team now it's nothing like it was in the beginning of the season uh jackson kincaid's gone we might be getting kelton moore back though i heard that he might be coming back from injury for this game but all in all if you're just looking just straight on paper um this game kind of matches up well for us even though we're I think two touchdown underdogs in this game. We have the better record, and we're still two touchdown underdogs. I mean, on paper, this game looks in our favor, no? Yeah, no, I agree. I think, you know, with our defense really stepping up these past couple weeks, it's going to be an interesting game to watch and kind of to see we are playing in Fresno, yep. uh, which is a test in itself. So it's going to be a fun one to watch for sure. But, yeah, I think I think the way our defense is playing right now can be kind of pretty hard to stop us and then uh if our offense just puts up some points here and there we could walk away out of fresno with a w and you know maybe you know sneak into a little bit better bowl but it's going to be a good one i don't see it being a blowout on either side i think it's actually going to be a really good game it's going to come down to you know those little turnovers the penalties all the little stuff that you like to talk about in football uh, so it's going to be a good one. I'm excited to watch it. It's going to be a very good game. And don't get me wrong. I'm always, before I say this, I want to preface it with this sentence saying, I always like to watch Nevada football. I, I, that's, I mean, I cover Nevada sports. I like to watch all their sports. I like to watch basketball games. I like to watch their football games. Even through that Hawaii blowout, I was in the press box watching that game. I like watching Nevada football games. But I haven't been this excited for a Nevada football game all year. I think this game is going to be one of the best games of the year. It's going to be close, like you said. It's going to be, I think it's honestly going to come down to a field goal, a touchdown, and just because of how everything stacks up. You know what I mean? Just how both teams have been playing. Fresno has been, tra like, traditionally, the last at least two years, has had our number. And I think this year, this could be the changing year, and I think that that we can really come out on top. On their offense, they have Jorge Reina, who can hurt people with his feet, but he has been all right thrower this year at the quarterback position. Running back Ronnie Rivers is their leading running back against SDSU's stout run defense. They ran the ball 15 times for 50 yards. They only threw the ball around 
I think it was 26, 25 times against SDSU, which is kind of interesting. You would think that they'd want to throw the ball a little bit more because SDSU literally has the second-ranked run defense in the entire country. So you would think they would run pass the ball a little bit more. They ran the ball 15 times. Oh, Ronnie Rivers ran the ball 15 times, 50 yards at the end of the day. He does have the most TDs in the Mountain West, though, with 12. That is something to keep an eye on as this game comes around. Their wide receivers, though, are pretty like non-intimidating they're almost non-existent uh zane pope is their leading wide receiver who has 41 catches for 453 yards on the year and only one td i think that was the sdsu game that we were watching where they had numbers 92 and 45 out there both walk-ons who are now starting in the wide receiver position so i can be the first one to say i'm not that that familiar with uh fresno state football i don't know if it's been injuries or if it's been some other situations but they they have a lot of walk-ons playing in their wide receiver position and that might be something that we could take advantage of that's at least good for us and our um, struggling secondary to kind of key on some maybe not so good wide receivers but their tight end is someone that I'm going to keep my eye on as this game rolls around he catches a lot of short routes and it kind of keeps their drives going he's their leading reception or the reception leader he had their most receptions against SDSU. He kind of just helps. He bails out the offense in a way. He's almost like the running back that runs um, little swing passes. Keeps the drive going. Keeps the chains moving. On the defensive side of the ball, though, their D-line is experienced but allows around four yards per rush. Could take advantage of this. I am bringing back the 20 touches that Toa needs. I'm bringing it back. I know I've been harping on. I kind of kind of strayed away from it the previous games because of how we needed a pass against SDSU and just for different reasons. But Toa needs to have his 20 touches. We need to get him. And I think Devontae Lee needs a good amount of touches as well. I, I, need, I think he needs to be above 10. We need to run the ball a lot against this team to kind of set up Carson and the pass game. Stud linebacker for them, Justin Rice, 96 tackles on the year, six and a half tackles for a loss. And then, like I said, their secondary is worse than us. They have some veterans. I think they have a veteran cornerback, veteran safety that has been on the team in previous years. But they allow the third most passing yards in the Mountain West. If we run the ball efficiently, set up Carson in this offense to where he can pass the ball against this secondary we may have a very good day on offense and then if we just uh, shut down Jorge make him kind of uncomfortable in the pocket but not let him scramble this could be a very good day for the pack yeah I agree I think uh one big key for me at least is you got to get Carson going early I think in the games where we see him even complete you know four or five yard the quick slants we see him gain that confidence and kind of you know, carry that throughout the game. And I think that's really important for a young quarterback to have confidence early in the game. So when that fourth quarter crunch time comes, and if it's a close game like we both expect it to be, he is ready and he's uh, willing to take on that task. So I think getting Carson going early is a big thing. I do think running the ball is actually going to be a big thing as well. I think I agree with you. I think Toa needs to have at least 20 touches. Our offensive line has been struggling. Mm-hmm. I think that this might be a game where, you know, they might shine a little bit brighter. And then, as always, I think our secondary just needs to step up and play. I think um, we've seen improvement out of them through kind of from the middle of the season until now in that kind of three-game stretch. We've really seen them improve in a lot of areas. So as long as they keep trending in that upward direction, it's going to be good for us. Uh, If we can do all those things, I think we can walk out of Fresno with a W. Yeah, I think that was a, a really good point to make about Carson Strong. In the Monday press conference, he was able to talk to the press uh, along with coach, obviously, but um, he was he was saying one of the things that he personally needs to work on is not throwing the ball so deep down the field in the beginning of the game. He gets kind of antsy. He gets ready to you know excited to play, and he wants to launch balls forward. And he said something that he needs to work on is starting slower, but starting um, not technically starting slower, but just starting with lo- um, shorter yard. Yes, yeah. shorter yard passes, maybe those four to five yard route uh, slants that you were talking about. And just to get him going, I think that was a really good point to make. I think that we need to get him going as well. A couple keys that I have, like I said, I think Toa and Devontae Lee need to have a huge game. They need to run the ball. But that starts with the O-line. I mean, that that starts with O-line making holes, getting, you know, pushing that defensive line back so we can actually run the ball in some of the holes that they are making. My big key to the game is how this D-line is going to perform. Dom Peterson needs to step up. Maybe Sam Hammond needs to step up. And they need to have huge games. If we saw a repeat of that Sam Hammond 
performance like we saw against San Diego State, this game's on lock because we'll be able to stop the run and we'll be able to limit Jorge Reina on the run. He likes to use his feet a lot, like I said. So if we're able to stop him and not let him scramble for yards, really, because we saw it against San Diego State, he was scrambling a lot. He would yeah. stretch out drives. He'd get those first downs from those from those scrambles. So if that's something that we can limit and we could stop, I think we can win this game. Uh, Chris Murray has us losing by a touchdown. The betting line is two touchdowns. I definitely have Nevada plus fourteen on that one. Uh, you don't bet against your own team or on your own team, but I I don't see how we lose this game by more than two touchdowns. I actually have us winning. Do you have a score prediction or can I just go for it? No, that's all you. I think we're gonna win. It's gonna be a low scoring game. I think we win 24-21. We haven't heard much about Brandon Talton, so watch out for a comeback. I say game winner. 24-21. Got a yardage on the game winner? Oh, man. Well, I think we're going to be able to march down the field, but I, I think we're going to struggle in the Reds. I say 48-yarder. Oh, Woo! 48-yarder to win the game. Ain't no chip shot either. It's not a chip shot, but Brand, I mean, he can make it. Yeah. He's locked down from that. So I say 24-21. Brand Talton is the MVP, and but I think Carson has a great game. I honestly do. I think he has two touchdowns in him for this game, which would be great to see. And I think we win this game by a very, very slim, close margin. Put us at 7-4, play the Little Brothers next week, whoop them around, obviously, get the Fremont Cannon back, go 8-4, play in a bowl game, 9-4. I am one game away from my prediction. I predicted at the end of the season we'd go 9-3. If we go 9-4, I swear I'm going to turn this entire studio on its head because no one believed me that it was 9-3. and And now we actually have a legit chance to get close to that. I think we win this week win next week and then we go into a bowl game and smack whoever we play any last words Tom? no i mean again thank you aaron for being on our podcast it is a great honor to have uh someone who works you know that hard at his job yep. you know he covers a lot of different sports a lot of different teams uh so props to him uh in terms of nevada let's keep pushing i'd love to see the boys ball out in the virgin islands something we will continue to talk about women's basketball the Jimenez sisters that is something i would keep my eye on mm-hmm. uh, as we play portland state and then let's go beat fresno state boys a lot of pack sports happening this week a lot to watch a lot to give your attention to and if you cannot give your attention to all of them because there is some volleyball that's being played as well this weekend if you can't give your attention to all of them watch out for monday's episode we'll be able to recap everything that happens this weekend thank you guys so much for giving us your time thank you again to aaron torres and let's go pack